One, two, three, there we go. First shot. Well, uh, excited to be with you all today. It's ringing a little bit. I won't get too excited. Uh, do what? Okay. Excited to be with you all this morning, and we got this morning and tonight, and uh, I just got back from uh, Bogota, Colombia, down in South America, and I'll tell you what, man, those people get excited about church. Services are going, this isn't to scare you, we're not doing this here unless you do it, but services are going four and five hours down there. They do like an hour, hour and a half of worship, and, and then I minister, you know, for an hour or two, and or laying hands on people, I get done, and then they go back into praise and worship for another two hours. <clears throat> and they're not just standing there. They're jumping up and dancing and running every place, and they're covered in sweat. And it was awesome. Uh, hey, we've got a couple of books back there. Uh, for those of you that might know who we are, uh, we've got a few books back there. They're all just $10. And we've got this thing that we started uh, two years ago called the Healing Academy. And... Uh, these are books that are part of the curriculum of that. This one's called Think Like Jesus. It's a devotional. It's a 40-day devotional. And basically, we just went through the book of John and found 40 statements that Jesus makes about himself that we needed to be making about ourselves because of our union with him. And so that one's back there. Um, this one's called Possessors of Life. And uh, talking about the life of God, this is, this is really specifically on healing. Um, it's, not it's not the typical healing teaching. Um, but, but everything that we teach on healing, it, it's coming from our position in him, our union with him. And then this one's called an alternate reality. Uh, anybody ever seen uh, The Matrix? Ever seen the movie The Matrix? A couple of you? Okay. So you're going to ruin my example. But there's a, there's a really well-known scene in The Matrix where Neo's sitting there, and the red pill and the blue pill. Anybody ever seen that scene? And he said, you know, you can take this one pill and... Basically, you can just keep doing life the way you do, see things the way you see. Or you can take this other pill, and you'll see basically this other reality, you know, the way things, the way things really, really are. And there's actually a lot of scriptural truth to that, uh, some things that Jesus was talking about in John 17. And so uh, this one's talking about seeing, seeing from a different perspective. And this is something I've really just been kind of chewing on over this last year is our perspective of how, we're tr how we truly need to see things. And, and once you start to learn your, your position in him, uh, your possession, start seeing things from a different perspective, then all of a sudden it seems like maybe you don't have to fight anymore. Maybe you just need to see things differently. And then because you see things differently, you automatically begin to walk in things. Maybe that'll make sense. It'll make more sense here in a little bit. But anyway, we've got those back there for you. And uh, actually, I'll give, I'll give these away if you want one. Anybody want one? All right, which one do you want? You raise your hand first. The white one. Why do you got to be racist about it? You got to be the white one. The white one. All right, so we got a tan one and a, and a, a tan. Yes, ma'am, what you want? She said we want possessors of life. Now, who was this one? Here, I'll give this one to you. I was looking at you earlier. You're being really nice. You're the first one nice to me this morning. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right. Well, if you have a Bible or your phone or your iPad or whatever you're using, if you want to turn to the book of John, I spend a lot of time in the book of John. You know, you have four Gospels. All you Bible scholars, what are those? 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All right, we've got one Bible scholar. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I love the book of John, though, because the book of John, you see some stuff that's not in the other Gospels. And the book of John, you really get to see the mindset of Jesus. There's just things there that he says you don't see in the other places. And I've spent, a, I've spent years and years and years just reading through John. And uh, if you look at John chapter 14, this is the scripture I really grabbed a hold of uh, about 15 years ago. And it's really just been kind of the, the mainstay of where I've been. John 14, 12, Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than he's, he will do because I go to my Father. So Jesus is the one, not your favorite YouTube preacher. This was not a denominational thing. Jesus is the one that said, whatever I did, you can do it too. Right? Let me see that in your scripture. doesn't matter what translation. Jesus said, you can do it too. And the reason he said you can do it is because I'm going to the Father. And the result of him going to the Father was to produce salvation. So that you and I would be in the very same position as him. We'd have the very same possession. We'd have the very same father, very same family. But there's a lot of people over the years, we've been trying to do what Jesus did without thinking the way that he thought. And if you're just doing what Jesus did, then you're just a copycat. And then it's really just kind of coming from here and not really coming from, from here, from who you are. And, and I truly believe that's why we haven't been really seeing the results that we should be seeing, and we know we should be seeing over the years, because we've had a lot of people trying to mimic Jesus, but not really doing it from the position and the understanding of, of why he was doing it. So I was one of these nerds growing up, and I still am. I, I want to know, how does this work? You know, I don't want to just see what happened. I want to know why it happened. And I'm kind of on this journey. Well, not kind of. I'm on this journey right now, you know, in, in the area of healing. I want to know the science of it. What's the cause and effect? Why does it work? Like, you know, how do we get this to happen every single time? And so as I began to go down that journey, I kept coming to this thing about union, union, union with God, union with the Father, union with Christ. And I began to find that with Jesus, this was the foundation of which everything that he did and all that he was flowed from that, flowed from that place. And so if you look at John chapter 5, you can see some of these things. Uh, this is what I call like the four P's. Uh, and this is the, the foundation of what we do in our Heathen Academy. The four P's, the four, or you could say the four keys of Jesus' success in life and ministry. But I call them the four P's because they, they start with a P. So people kind of remember them. Y'all are, are being hard as fun. All right, so, so John chapter 5. I'm not funny, but I try to be a little funny to get you to just think. I don't want, you know, if you paid attention over the years, a lot of people have been kind of like the baby bird in the nest with a mama bird, and whatever says in church, they just, I mean, they just, just take whatever's been fed them out. I want, I want us to think. I want us to think, why do I believe this? Okay? And then don't be like what a lot of people are in a lot of circles and that I don't even think about what I believe anymore, and even though I'm, get, I don't, I'm not getting results, I just keep making excuses for lack of results because, well, this is just what I believe. Well, I don't care what group you're a part of, what denomination. If you're getting more results than me, I'm asking you, what do you believe? What do you think? How are you getting that to happen? What are you doing? And if it means I need to change what I'm doing, 
Or if it means I need to change what I think, my perspective, my belief, if I need to just tweak some things, I'm going to do it because I want results. In my opinion, the church is the only organization on the planet that could continue to do the same thing, fail every single time, and get away with it and still consider themselves to be successful. Because if most, if most businesses did things the way the church did and didn't produce but kept selling the same thing, they'd be out of business. The church is the only one who can get away from just making up excuses and still consider themselves to be successful, even though it doesn't match up to the standard of Jesus. Remember, Jesus is our standard. Okay? I, I'm, I thank God for people like Kenneth Hagin and Catherine Kuhlman and John G. Lake and Wigglesworth and name of your favorite preacher. Thank God for all of them and, and the trails that they blaze, but they're not our standard. They're great examples to follow, but they're not the standard. Jesus is our standard because Jesus is the one who said, whatever I did, you can do it too, and you can do even greater. So I'm very, very thankful, and I honor those who have come before us. I honor them. I look to their example, and I learn from the good that, that they accomplished and the things that they did. But I'm telling you what, their standard, as of, as of this point, there ain't nobody that I've seen so far that's matched up to Jesus yet. But don't count ourselves out. Because Jesus is the one that said it was possible. He's the one that said it was possible. But what has happened in the past is that people have grabbed a hold of a revelation, got an understanding of something. And instead of using that to propel them into a, a greater revelation, they camped out on that one revelation. And what starts as a great move of God, all of a sudden it comes to a screeching halt because they refuse to go even further. And then unfortunately what happens in some groups is that some of those people who had a great revelation of God and started a move and then camped out there and didn't move, all the people around them began to almost kind of not worship, but honor that person so much that they don't want to move past anything for fear that I'm going to dishonor the person, yet you're not getting results like you should be. So, like, I'm just hungry, and I'm willing just to break down any walls and, and not ruin relationships, but I mean, like, I just want results. And I'm, I refuse to let anybody hold me back, and I see Jesus is here, and until my result, till my life meets up, meets up to here, we keep pushing and we keep pressing and we, we get one revelation and then we use that and go to another revelation and we build upon those things, going from glory to glory to glory, faith to faith. But to do that, we have to ask questions. And to do that, we have to humble ourselves. We have to get rid of the pride and we have to humble ourselves and realize, okay, this is where I'm at. This is where my results are at. You know, if prayers and my prayers aren't getting answered, well, something's wrong there. But the church thinks that that's okay. You know, if I lay hands on somebody and they don't get healed, well, maybe next time. And that's kind of the church's attitude. It ticks me off when people don't get healed. Now, I mean, we have seen tremendous results over the years, and we're continuing to see more and more better and better results every year. But, like, I'm a really sore loser. Like, I, I despise losing. Like, I despise losing so bad when, when my, my son, he's 13 years old, he's our only child. And when he was younger, I mean, it didn't matter what we're doing, playing, playing Madden on PlayStation, or we're playing ping pong, or we're playing, you know, tetherball. It didn't matter what it was. 
I'm going to win. And, like, I would beat him and beat him bad. And, like, my wife, Lacey, she would, she would come up to me and she'd say, Chad, he's five. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like, you know, you don't have to, you, you got to let him win some. I was like, babe, that ain't real life. I don't do participation trophies. You know, all this, all this, you know, make them feel better. You know, let's stop the clock, you know, because they're 25 points ahead. No, no, no. Keep running them in there. Like, I was, I was that type. We're playing sports. I want that person, I want to beat them so bad that they walk away in tears, like, just feeling horrible about themselves. Because they got beat a hundred and nothing. I mean, like, I mean, I'm the type, if I'm, if I'm up a hundred to zero, and we got an opportunity to score another touchdown last second, I'm doing it. I ain't, I'm not going to kneel. We're going for it. Like, I hate losing, and I want to win big. And so I'm at that place that even in the area of healing, I have a hard time celebrating lots and lots of victories because there's that one or two that we didn't see what I know we should have seen. And what that does is it causes me to go back and ask questions and search, not just blow it off. And, well, we got, we got a lot of good results. Don't worry about that one. I want all of them. I want all of them. Because think about how many times it says in the Bible, you know, the multitudes, they came to Jesus and, you know, he healed them all. When's the last time you went to a church service and you saw, and he healed them all? You know, the church, the church is in a, a place today where, like where Paul said, and I mean, James said in, uh, in James 5, he says, any of you sick in the church? It's like, is there anyone, 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 anyone? Today you have to ask, is there anyone healthy in the church? Anyone, 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 anyone? <laughs> Why? Because we've just accepted a new normal. New normal didn't start two years ago. There's been a new normal in the church for a long, long time. And we're having to, we're having to kind of root some things out. So anyway, did you find John chapter 5? You thought I forgot, huh? Look at John chapter 5. So John chapter 5, Jesus is, is talking here, and in verse 17, these are some of these keys uh, I was mentioning to you. We're going to talk about this morning, and then we're going we're gonna to spend some time on one of them tonight. John chapter 5 and verse uh, 16, it says, For this reason the Jews, they persecuted Jesus, and they sought to kill him because he'd done these things on the Sabbath. Jesus answered them and said, My father's been working until now, and I have been working. So right here is one of these keys. And it's this deal of partnership. Jesus understood that, job, that God had a role and that he had a role. That God had to do something and he had to do something. A lot of the church today thinks, well, God's sovereign. He's going to do whatever he wants. So, you know, okay, sirrah, sirrah. Whatever happens, happens. And if somebody doesn't get healed, well, it, it, it was God's will. If they do get healed, it's God's will. If somebody dies in a car wreck, it's God's will, you know. If somebody's broke, well, that's God's will. No, Jesus understood God's got a role, I've got a role. He's got a responsibility, I've got a responsibility. There's a working together, there's a partnership. There's a partnership. And you'll, you'll see some more of this as he goes on here. Uh, verse 18, it says, Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his father. Now notice this. God was his father, that, therefore it made him equal with God. Now that's a pretty crazy statement. But that was understanding. If God is your father, and you're saying God's your father, if God's your father, that makes you equal with God. Well, I mean, just to kind of let some of the air out of the room, how many of you have received Jesus as your Savior? Okay, a couple of you are saved. All right, so those of you that are saved, 
That means God's your father, right? I mean, we've accepted that. Okay, if God's your father according to this, that makes you equal with him. Well, watch out for the lightning to strike because... So if God's your father, that makes you equal with... Uh, now, there's a difference between equal to and equal with. Vast difference. Equal with means you can represent something. You're on, you're on the same level. Equal to means you can replace something. Now, you can't replace God. I mean, if God decides to, you're gone. Like, we're entirely dependent on him. You know, he upholds everything. We're not equal to him, but we are equal with him. And God's the one who did this and did it back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Let's make man in our image and in our likeness. This was God. This wasn't a, a preacher. This wasn't a denominational thing. This was God back in the very, very beginning. Let's make man in our image according to our likeness. Let's let them have dominion. God did that. God did that. And, and the Pharisees, the religious people, they understand that. But for you to say that God is your father, that puts you on his level. They understood that. And Jesus didn't deny it. Jesus didn't deny it. Made him equal with God. That means you can represent. See, my son, so he's 13. His name's Jake. And I know that I've got the last name Gonzalez, and it, it kind of weirds everybody out because they don't know what I am. Got a Spanish last name. For the most part, look pretty white on the outside. I feel chocolate on the inside because I, I, grew, I, grew I grew up in a pretty much all black church. And so, and, and uh, I, actually, I played the drums for the gospel choir A&M. I was a lone white dude, and I felt at home. And I come to places like this, and I feel kind of uncomfortable. You know, I feel like a, I'm not like a Neapolitan sandwich, you know. You got, mm. <laughs> but my son, Jake, he, he looks like me. He's got my DNA. He's got some of my personality. He's definitely got my, my sense of humor, and it just drives Lacey nuts. Is that we've got this just real dry, kind of dorky sense of humor, like, you know, dad jokes. I mean, we just thrive on those. Like, they're just, and it just comes out. But, like, he, he, he looks like me, and he's 13. He's already got a little mustache. He feels like a man. He's, like, my height already. Like, but if you were to see him, I mean, you could definitely tell that's Chad's son. And, and because he's got my DNA, he has my last name. I mean, he looks like me. Like, he's on my level. He could represent me. And actually, he used to do that when we were still pastoring. We pastored for 15 years. We, we pastored three different churches. And my son, I mean, even at like eight or nine years old, because he grew up in the church, and he's always in the staff meetings and the leaders' meetings and stuff, he knows how things were to run in the different departments. And this boy at like seven, eight, nine years old, if he was walking through the lobby or walking by and saw something that wasn't right, he would walk up to that adult and tell him, you're doing that wrong. I'm going to go tell my dad. <laughs> he would. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. He would. He would come tell me, come tell Lacey. And, and we'd go check it out and, go, and tell him, hey, go back and tell him, you know. And he would. He'd go back and say, hey, dad said you need to do this or you need to fix this or mom said. What was he doing? He was representing. Why? He was in that position even at seven or eight years old to be able to do it. He's got my DNA in him. He's got me in him. He, now, he can't replace me, Right? Your children can't replace you. You can't replace your parents. 
But I mean, you could represent them. Well, same thing. I can't take God's place. I can't take his place on the throne, but I can represent him to the world. Why? Because he's in me. I've got his DNA. He's my father. Well, Jesus is talking about this. They recognize this with Jesus. He said, if God is your father, that makes you equal with God. That's why we want to kill you. And verse 19, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all the things that he does. And he will show him even greater works than these just so you would marvel. So there's two more of these P's here, these keys. And it's this, perspective. Number one, Jesus has a different perspective on life because he's seeing things the way that God sees them, not the way a human sees them. And number two, he understood and valued and looked to the presence of God. Now you have to understand that Jesus, everything that he said, everything that he did, he's saying it from the position of a man anointed by God. He's not doing this as God. And this, this right here blows holes in most people's religious little theologies and doctrines and stuff because we view, well, the reason Jesus got miracles, the reason Jesus was able to raise the dead, he turned water into wine, walked on water, did all these things because he was God. Well, yes, he was the son of God. Yes, he is God manifest. But the Bible says in Philippians 2, Jesus humbled himself. He laid aside everything that gave him an advantage in life, and he came and did life as a man. So everything you see Jesus do, everything you see Jesus say, he's doing as a man, filled with God, united with God, and anointed by God. You see, if Jesus was doing life as God, then when he said John 14, 12, has to be a lie. If he, if he was doing it as God, and then he's telling us we could do the very same things, that either means you're God, just as he's God, right? I mean, you get, to do what he did, you gotta, you got to have the same stuff. you got to be at the same place. No, the Bible says in Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, went about doing good, healing all those oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. God doesn't need to be anointed, but a man does, right? Over in Luke chapter 2, it says the child Jesus grew not only in stature, he also grew in wisdom. God doesn't grow in wisdom. A man does. says he grew in favor with God and man. How do you grow in favor with yourself? Huh? Wisdom. <laughs> I mean, even right here in John chapter 5 and verse 21, he said, the Father's going to show me even greater things than these. Just so you moment. That shows you right there. Even Jesus didn't know it all. I know it's an astounding statement, but he's telling you right here. He's going to show me things I've never seen before. So I can turn around and do it so you go, wow. Jesus is doing life as a man. And that, that's given me such great comfort and solace to know that he's doing life like me. He's dealing with the emotions I've dealt with, dealing with the body I've dealt with, dealing with goofy people around me. Like, you know, we all don't. He's dealing with the same stuff. The thoughts that come to my mind, he was dealing with those thoughts. The Bible says he was tempted in every way, just like us. Well, God can't be tempted. I mean, we could, we could spend time just going through this. Jesus is doing life like us. He's doing life like us. But he's anointed by God, filled with God, and united with God. And we'll spend some time on that.
uh, here in just a minute. So you see right there, presence, perspective. Verse 21, he said, For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. So right here you see that Jesus also understands his possession. It's this piece about the life of God. He understood he was a possessor of the life of God. It also says in verse 26, he says, For as the Father has life in himself, so the Son has life in himself. So you see that Jesus shares the same position. He's, he's in union with the Father. He understands his position. He understands his partnership. He understands his uh, perspective here. He understands his possession. Uh, there's perspective there. And he also understands his purpose that you see right here in verse 21. He said, the Father raises dead and gives life to them. I give life to whom I will. This goes right along with John chapter 10, verse 10. He said, the thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come that you would have life. Notice he didn't say, I came so you could go to heaven. Now, don't get mad. I'm not saying there isn't a heaven. There's very much a heaven, very much a hell. When I take my last breath or Jesus turns, thank God I get to go there. But Jesus did not, the, the focus of his mission was not to change your destination. Don't get nervous. The focus of, of his, his ministry and his, 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 his life and, and the focus of what he was doing was to not just change your, your destination, but to change your position, to unite you with God. See, this is why the, the church is, when we all get to heaven, what a wonderful day it's going to be. But we're going through hell on earth. And we really don't even believe that song either because, you know, some people sing that on Sunday. They go to the doctor on Monday. The doctor says, sorry, you got cancer. You got two weeks to live. Then they're crying and say, I don't want to die. But the day before, you said, I can't wait to get to heaven. You lie, you lie, you lie. You don't even believe it. You don't want to go there. I don't want to die. I can't wait to get to heaven. I don't want to die. Which one is it? Most of us don't believe that anyway. I don't know what we do, but, you know, it's not real to us. But Jesus didn't come just to take us somewhere. He came to, we were far away from God. He came to bring us near. He says this in John chapter 17. He said, eternal life is this, to know him. Eternal life is this, to know him. He didn't say eternal life is to go to heaven. Eternal life is to know him. Everlasting life. You even see it right here in John chapter 5 and verse 24. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me, he has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but he's passed from death into life. In other words, uh, there is a change that automatically happens. It's not about you going somewhere. It's about your position changing. So right here in John chapter 5, you see, you see these keys here as to why Jesus was getting success. He understood his partnership. He understood his position. He understood his possession. He understood his purpose. He had the proper perspective, right? He had the proper perspective there, and he understood his possession. Now, I want to spend some time on this position piece this morning, and then tonight we're going to kind of talk about our perspective and maybe kind of blow some of your minds a little bit with some stuff that Jesus says. Because there's things that, there's some stuff Jesus has said in here nobody talks about because it makes people nervous. But I like talking about it because I like seeing people fidget. <laughs> Where's it going? And it's Jesus saying it. 
But look at this. Go back to John chapter 14. So most of this is heard, verse 12. Whoever believes in me do the very same works and even greater works because I'm going to the Father, right? Most of us have heard that. But let's start a few verses before there. John chapter 14 and verse 7. Jesus says this. He says, if you had known me, what? You have known my Father. And from now on you know him and you have seen him. Now remember, he's saying this just like you. Now when you look at it from that perspective, that is an extremely bold statement. Can you imagine going to Walmart or, you know, the donut shop, standing there talking to someone? They said, man, I'd really like to see God one day. And you're sitting there talking to him and said, you know what? If you've seen me, you've seen him. Can you imagine doing that? But literally, that's what Jesus just did to the, to the disciples. See, I, th I think sometimes we forget these are real people. These are real people. I mean, imagine you've been hanging out with some of your friends for a while, friends that you've known for a long time. You all are in conversation. They know you've been around you. You know, they've, they've heard your bad jokes. They've, they smelled your B.O. Like, they've been around you. They, they know your quirks and your, and your habits. And, and one day you say, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen Jesus. Most of us are going to think they lost their ever-loving mind, right? And I think so many times we're, we're reading these stories in the Bible, we're not seeing this is real people. I mean, yeah, it happened a long time ago, but these are real people, real emotions, real thoughts, real doubts. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen him. Now, how is that possible? Well, remember, Jesus said, I'm one with the Father. I'm one with the Father. If you'd known me, you have known my Father also, and you've also seen him. Philip goes, yeah, yeah, I get that. You know, show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. Jesus says in verse 9, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father, so how do you say, show us the Father? Verse 10, now this is, this is the key part. You need to underline this. Jesus says, do you not believe I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? This is union. This, this, this is, for me, this is the, the thread that runs all throughout Jesus' messages, his life and ministry, is union. Union with the Father. The Father is one with me. I'm one with him. Jesus talks about this all throughout the book of John. Constantly. I mean, it's like at some point, like Jesus, come up with something else to talk about. Because this is all you're talking about. And, but it's interesting, though, is that uh, most Bible scholars, they'll tell you that the book of John basically represents about 19 days uh, of Jesus' life and ministry. 19 days. And yet, if you think about it from that standpoint, 19 days, you keep talking about this. Bless you. Healing rich. That's what we say around our house. We sneeze, you know. Healing rich. So anyway. <laughs> See, you might have kind of like that. You might want to try that out. Two, you're healed and you're rich. Okay. So, 19 days, and he's constantly talking about this. Well, if you talk about something a lot, it's because you're thinking about it even more, right? You're thinking about it a lot. What you talk about, Jesus said, out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. What you're thinking on, what you're chewing on, what you're imagining on, that's what you talk about all the time. 
You know, if you, if you hang around a guy and he talks about hunting a lot, it's because he's thinking about it all the time. He may be at home with his wife, but he's thinking about that deer. <laughs> he's thinking, you're sitting right beside him, but he's thinking about that bass. But you'll see it all, all, all through here. He continues on. Verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? Look at this. The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells where? The Father who dwells in me does the works. So this right here, again, the next time somebody says, well, the only reason Jesus, Jesus got miracles because he was God. But Jesus said, no, no, no. He said, the reason I'm getting miracles is the Father on the inside of me that's doing the works. See, it's this partnership. The father has a role, I have a role. He has a responsibility, I have a responsibility. But, but then you'll see Jesus make statements like this. He'll say, if you don't believe me, believe the works that I do. So you're like, you know, Jesus, you're, 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 you got kind of like split personality. You got a disorder. Like, which one is it? Is it you or is it the father? Which one? Because you're saying both. Because it's both. It's a dual partnership. It's a dual working, you know. I can't do it in and of myself. It's the Father on the inside. But I have to do something. It's my words. It's my actions. It's my faith. But it's Him, His grace, His ability. And it's flowing from the standpoint of union. It's only from the standpoint of union. He said, it's the Father who dwells in me who does the works. And then verse 11, he said, believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father in me. Or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. So even right here, he says, if you don't believe me, believe the works. Because the works prove my position. The works prove my union with them. So even right here, you see that because of our union with Christ, our union with the Father, it's supposed to produce the miraculous. It's supposed to produce. But unfortunately, for a very long time now, the church has accepted this thing that when I, when I get saved, I become one with him. Well, I just focus on becoming a better person. And then one day I get to go to heaven, slide into those pearly gates, give Peter a high five and go, Whew, I made it. Right? I mean, that, that's where most of Christianity is at. But Jesus, as a man, anointed by God, filled with God, united by God, is saying, I'm one with him. If you've seen me, you've seen him. It's the Father only inside of me that's doing the works. But if you don't believe what I'm saying, believe the works, because the works prove union. Jesus is saying this just like you. Saying these things to these guys. I'm in the Father, the Father is in me. The Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father in me, or believe the works themselves. Now, the church, for a very long time, we've been preaching a good message, but we haven't been proving the message. Right? And, uh, and for a long time, we have been, uh, how to say this nice, we have been basically looking to our creativity. We've been looking to our physical abilities. We've been looking to all of these things that we could do to try to reach people, and that's great, and we should. 
But you know, when it came down to, the, to proving the validity of Jesus' ministry and the validity of his message, he never talked about all the food that they gave, all the clothes that they handed out, all the social services that they provided. He talked about the miracles. Right? Now, when churches today talk about the success of the church and, and the things that, the, things that they've been accomplished to do, I, ne I never really truly hear too many churches talking about the miracles. What I usually hear is a social service program that they've provided for the community. Now, I mean, that's great. Jesus, I mean, he did a lot of stuff for the poor, right? I mean, must, he must have been doing so much that at, at the Lord's Supper, you know, when they're having communion up there, and, and Judas left, and a lot of the disciples thought he was going out to give money to the poor. I mean, it was just a common, common thing. They were doing good stuff. But when, when John the Baptist sent his disciples to Jesus and said, hey, are you really the Christ? I mean, I know I baptized you, and I know I announced you to the world as the Messiah, the, the long-awaited one, but now I'm kind of having some doubts. Are you really him? And Jesus' response was, he went and healed the sick, called the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, and he turns around and tells John's disciples, hey, go back and tell John what you just saw. Go back and tell him what you just saw and what you heard. He didn't say, go back and tell John about all the people we fed, all the books that I've written, all the TV shows that I'm on, how many partners I have, how many churches I have, how big my building is. He said, go back and tell him, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. The church isn't doing that. Well, maybe there's a reason now that the world doesn't really respect us the way they should. See, this thing happened about two years ago. You know, this whole COVID thing. Now we're about COVID-72. This thing happened, you know, about two years ago. And it was a wonderful, that was kind of funny. But it was a wonderful, <laughs> it was a wonderful opportunity for the church to rise up and say, if you've seen us, let me show you him. Right? It was a wonderful opportunity to do that. But because the church hadn't been operating in the miraculous and the supernatural for so long, and we were so focused on using our crea creativity and our natural abilities to try to win people. When it came down to actually having to produce something, we weren't able to produce it. And so what happened was the church started screaming. I'm essential. I'm essential. We're essential. But you know what? The world doesn't give a rip about your message. If you don't have something they don't have, you're not essential. What the world needed was some healing. They didn't need more groceries. I mean, the government gives that out all the time. There's wicked people that do that just for a tax write-off. I mean, thank God for the good things we can do out of our finances and our time and abundance. I mean, thank God for that. We should be doing those things. But you know what? They could, they could go down to HHS and get that. They could go to the government and get that. They couldn't get healing. So instead of the church, or instead of the government calling the church and said, hey, we need some help, everybody's looking to Pfizer and Moderna. When the church could have stood up and said, hey, I know you don't really believe anything we say, but we can help you in that. You know, the government, see, they don't have to agree with you to still respect you. There's a lot of people I don't agree with, I still respect. You know, 
I don't agree with everything our president, but I still respect him because of the position that he holds. Okay, that was a quiet moment. <laughs> Ooh, okay, didn't mean to touch on that one. No, you don't have to agree with people to still respect the position that they hold. You know? But I mean, the, the church world, we should be respected by the world. They don't have to agree with what we say, and they're going to think you're bonkers. But I'm telling you, people don't really care what you believe if you have something that they need. If you have something that they need. And the church couldn't show the world we actually have something that, that you, you need. I mean, we're, we're saying we're essential because we need to tell people about Jesus. They don't care about your Jesus. We've been preaching to the world for a long time. And churches are just getting smaller. More Christians are staying home, watching online. If the, if, the, <laughs> the, if the church people don't care, the world really don't care. But if, if you have something that they need, that they know that they need and they can't get anywhere else, all of a sudden you are extremely essential. Extremely essential. You know, I, I don't think I'm weird about this, but um, so I go to Kenya about once a year and I actually went, I'm going to be very careful in how I share this because you're going to think I'm, some of you think I'm crazy, but uh, I actually went over there just, just for on, a, on a research trip back in November and I went and interviewed some, some ex-witch uh, doctors just to talk. And uh, because what's interesting is that over there in Kenya, a lot of the government people, they'll actually go to a witch doctor for, for health reasons before they'll go to a medical doctor. Because the witch doctors can produce. Now, I mean, you're going to get something demonic on the side, but, I mean, they will produce. It's, it's a real power. It's a counterfeit power. It's demonic, but it's real. And, and, and they get results in some areas. And so it was interesting in just these conversations that I was having to see that, that even in that regard, they're kind of crazy. But government people, very wealthy people, uh, respected people will go to them because they have something the doctors can't give them. So it's a little, yeah. <laughs> we want to be essential. We got to start looking at this thing from the standpoint of Jesus. I don't, I don't care what people have said in the past. I just went back to Jesus. I got everything I've been taught. I didn't throw it away. I put it on the side. And I started using Jesus as my filter and running this stuff through this. What's he saying? What's he doing? His words, his actions, his thoughts, does it line up? If it doesn't, I'm tossing it. And started seeing repeatedly how Jesus was putting so much emphasis on the supernatural and the miraculous as the proof of the message. Not just, I preached a good five-point sermon, here's the proof. You know, remember, remember growing up back in the days where you had the vacuum cleaner salesman that would come to your house? And they'd walk in there, and they'd just throw dirt on the floor, Throw wine on the carpet, you know. I mean, they could sit there, they could knock on your door and tell you how great their vacuum cleaner is, you know. It'll suck up, you know, 20 golf balls and it'll do all kinds of stuff. And at some point, you're like, shut up, just show me what it does. I really don't care what you're saying, show me. And they, they pour some wine on there, they throw dirt and they carpet, get it all up and it's done. Hey, I didn't listen to anything you said, but it looks like it works, so I'll take it. 
right? We have to have proof. We have to provide. There's a reason that even in the Great Commission, he said, go preach this gospel. And he said, these signs will follow those. That word signs in the Greek, it literally means this. It literally means to authenticate the message and the messenger. Even Jesus himself actually believed. I mean, who would have thunk it? He believed that carnal, dead people actually needed to see something. They needed to see a physical proof to prove a spiritual truth. I mean, Jesus actually believed that. What's wrong with him? But the world, you know, this church world, we think we can do it without the supernatural. It's time we become a supernatural church again. But we're not going to be a supernatural church if we don't know who we are. And that's essentially what this comes down to. I mean, like we're starting to become pretty known for the healing piece. But in reality, all we're doing is teaching people who they are. And what happens is the healing piece flows from your identity. And that's what this is all about is your identity. He says it right here. He said, the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me, I'm in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. If you go on down to verse 19, now remember, and this is taking place in the upper room. This is Jesus' you know, last teaching time with the disciples before he goes to the, the Garden of Gethsemane and turns himself over and then goes to the cross. These are his last teaching times with the disciples. Look at the things he's talking about. I mean, in my last times with someone before I die, I mean, as much as I love sports, I'm not going to be talking about sports, not going to be talking about politics. I'm going to be telling them the things that I know they need to be successful. Right? Verse 19, he said, A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. This is going to be, that part's important tonight. But then look at verse 20, he says, And on that day, he's talking about the day of salvation, you will know that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. So notice, before, Jesus is talking about before salvation, it's the Father in me, and I in him. But after salvation, it's going to be the Father in me, I in him, and you in me. So the purpose of salvation was to bring you along and make you a part of the family. To make you just as one with the Father as Jesus is one with the Father. That the very same position that Jesus has is the very same position that you have. Now we've heard the scriptures. It's like we've seen the puzzle pieces. We just haven't put the puzzle together. Because I, I'm assuming everyone in here has heard at some point or another about Ephesians. How God raised us up and made us to sit down at the right hand of God in Christ. Right? We've been seated with Christ in Christ, the right hand of God. How is that possible? If you don't share the same position. I truly believe the reason it says that God made us sit down. Is because some of us would go. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm... He had to drag you and he sit your butt down. Because this is how I see you. Like, I'm in my father. You are in me. And I am in you. I am in you. Um, look over a few pages back. Look at John chapter 10. Again, just this whole thing about union, this is a big deal to Jesus. We're just kind of touching on it a little bit. John chapter 10, 
And verse 27, you've all heard this scripture. He said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And verse 28, and he said, notice, he said, I give them what? I give them eternal life. So again, eternal life is not just you going somewhere. Eternal life is a possession, life. That, that Greek word, zoe, Z-O-E, the life of God. He said, I give you something. Not just take you somewhere, I give you something. So I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Notice verse 30. I and my Father are one. And he's saying this just like you. Right? And then look at verse 31. It ticked off the religious people and they wanted to kill him. See, the thing that was ticking them off wasn't necessarily the miracles. They didn't like the miracles. But what was really getting them was the fact that he was talking about this, this union, this relationship with God, of his father, making him one. Now remember, if God's your father, then that makes you equal with, this is relationship, representation. I and my father are one. The Jews took up stones to stone him, and Jesus said, so many good works I've shown you from my father, which of these works do you stone me for? They said, a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself what? God. Now, Jesus didn't make himself God. That was God. Look, Jesus said, isn't it written your law? I said, you are God, little G's. Jesus flipped it back on him. He says, your own scriptures tell you that you're God's. I mean, this would get you kicked out of most churches just reading this. People get... People get upset about this. You're gods. If he called them gods, verse 35, to whom the word of God came, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent to the world, you're blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? Notice verse 37. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. When's the last time you had a preacher get up and said, hey, if we don't produce anything, don't listen to anything I say? Where, where's... <laughs> Where's the preachers with those backbones? This is Jesus. He said, if you don't believe what I say, believe what I do. And what has the church world done? We have, we have totally taken the supernatural and the miracles, throw that to the side, and we start talking about our character and our morals and our behavior. You know? Because we're so sin conscious. We say we're not sin conscious, but we just want to focus on being a good person. Not cussing, not chewing, not smoking, not hanging out with those who do. Just being a good person. Yeah? How many of you ever heard that statement? <laughs> you heard this statement right here. You may be the only Jesus someone ever sees. You ever heard that? They ain't ever talking about the miraculous. They're talking about your behavior. Because we're so stinking sin conscious. We're so sin conscious, we can't even focus on the supernatural. I'm just trying not to punch somebody because I lost my temper. Now, I mean, we're looking at that type of stuff. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you don't believe me, believe the works that you would know and believe. Here it is again. That what? The Father is where? He's in me, and I am in him. Notice again, this is the second time here. He's talking about union, and from that position... The miraculous is supposed to flow. 
So if you want to see miracles in your life, if you want to operate in the supernatural, number one, you got to get saved. But then once you get saved, you need to know what your salvation actually did for you. It's not to just simply take you somewhere. It was to unite you with God. To put you in such a great position with Him that all of Him can now naturally flow through you. That notice right here, Jesus is not talking about you making the right confessions. He's not talking about your behaviors. He's not talking about trying to do the right things and all this type of stuff. He's talking about your position. He's talking about your union. Because once you begin to understand who you truly are, the sin stuff is not a big deal anymore. I mean, if you think about it, the sin stuff, that's baby stuff. If I've still got to be told after 20 years of being a Christian, you know, stop looking at porn and stop having this thought about this woman and, you know, stop losing your temper, something's wrong. Once you begin to understand who you are and you begin to align and identify yourself with him, you begin to understand that he's one with you and you're one with him, that he's working on the inside, you start to get so consumed with him and all that he is and see yourself in him, this mess out here is, is nothing. And all of a sudden, the miraculous starts to become a part of your lifestyle, not something you're, you're trying to produce. I'm trying to make sure I say the right thing because, you know, I got the confession Nazis all around me. I don't want to say the wrong thing and the right thing. I've got my 20 pages of my confession sheets. I'm trying to go through them every day and trying to do the right things and say the right things and make sure I'm, I'm sowing the right seeds and doing all this stuff to try to get the miracles to happen and try to get my healing or get that person healed. And trying to do all these things. And Jesus doesn't mention any of that stuff. He says, it's from my position, understanding who I am in him. And he tells the disciples, he said, on that day, and if we had, an, if we had another service, we would spend some time with it. He said, on that day, he said, when I'm alive, you'll be alive too. And he's talking to living people. He's not in a cemetery looking at dead bodies. He's talking to living people, but they're spiritually dead. But he said, on that day, you'll be alive too. And you'll know. See that word know there. In the Greek, it's not talking about facts and data, intellect. It's talking about experiential knowledge. It's, 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 the same, it's the same word in the Greek that's talking about the intimacy between a man and a woman. An experiential knowing. He said, you will know. That means the day that you get saved, you can start to have true legitimate experiences with God. Whether you're seven, you're 70. Now, people would say, well, then how come we haven't been seen it? Because a lot of us went to church too long and we're told that ain't normal. It ain't normal to hear from God. It's not normal to, to see from God. It's not normal to have experiences and encounters with God. That's, that's not normal. Or that's for the generals of the faith. You know, you got to be 90 years old and you can barely breathe. You don't even know your name. You get to that point where you can start having experiences with God. Because you've been doing it so long. You know what I mean? You walk like the dirty old man from the Carol Burnett show, you know. Like, you, <laughs> you got to get to that stage in your Christianity where you can start to have experiences with God. But I mean, Jesus says right here. He says right there in John 14. That day you'll know that I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, and I am in you. Verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, that's the one that loves me. And whoever loves me 
will be loved by my Father. I will love him. And notice this statement. And I will manifest myself to him. When? On that day. He didn't say the day you show up in heaven. He's talking about the day you get born again. The day you become alive, he said, I'll reveal myself. I'll manifest myself. He said, the world won't see me anymore, but you will. Let me pose this question to you. I'm getting a little off subject, but then it's not. But let me pose this question to you. How come we're not seeing more things? Some of us have been in church too long. I've, told, I've been telling this story a lot. But uh, I, I remember we were pastoring. We started a church in College Station, Texas. I'm sorry for you Nebraska Cornhuskers, but I'm an Aggie. And uh, so SEC now. So, but, um, so we're in College Station, Texas. And there was a little boy in our church. His name was Nicholas. He was four years old. And his parents had started coming to our church maybe about six months, five, six months before that. And one Sunday they came up to me and Lacey and they said, hey, uh, could we have uh, dinner with you guys sometime? We wanted to talk to you about something. I said, yeah. So we got together that week. They came over to our house. And I remember we're sitting in our dining room eating dinner. And we're kind of getting through the, you know, the little formal chit-chat and stuff. And so he finally brings it up and he goes, hey, so what I wanted to talk to you about is this. He said, now, I'll, you need to understand. He said, me and my wife, we're not real religious people. He said, we've been coming to church. And, and he said, but we don't really talk much about God and Jesus at home. He said, we're getting better doing that since we've been coming to church but he said last Sunday uh, he said our, our son Nick we didn't take him to children's church he wanted to stay out with us during during the main service so we kept him out there and uh, he said when we got home we were sitting down eating lunch and so we started talking about church we've been trying to be more mindful about talking about things we started talking about church and mentioned something about Jesus and little four-year-old Nick says yeah I saw Jesus today now the dad goes Okay, he said, where was Jesus? And Nick said, four years old, he said, Jesus, he was at church today. And the dad said, well, well where was Jesus? He said, with the big people. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm sitting here listening to this. I'm thinking, okay, maybe it was from Veggie Tales he saw the day before or something like that, you know. And the dad goes, now remember, we're not, we're not religious people. We don't, we don't talk about this type of stuff. And he said, but where was he at with the big people? Get this. He said, Nick, four years old, he said, Jesus was on the stage with the big people. And the dad said, well, what was Jesus doing? And this is, this is where I believe him. He said, what was Jesus doing? He said, when the big people lifted up their hands, Jesus reached out his hands. Think about that. That one got me. He said, when the big people lifted up their hands, surrender, honor, praise. Jesus reached out his hands. Jesus on the stage, reaching out his hands. In other words, when I'm giving up, when I'm releasing, he starts releasing. It was just a few weeks within that, my son, he was three years old. And, uh, oh, I can actually see some of you here. I'm not that tall. So. <laughs> when I see people start doing like this, it's a reminder I need to step up a little bit. Maybe I need, you seen those shoes being advertised on Facebook? You wear them, it gives you an extra two inches. Okay, you haven't seen that. Anyway, might need to try those. So my son, he was three years old at the time. And we were at that stage in childhood and parenthood where we're trying to get him to stay in his bed at night. Because he's crawling out of his bed, and he's coming there trying to sleep with us. And we're trying to get him to stay in there. And he's scared of the dark and, you know, typical little kid stuff. 
And so I'll never forget, he, he was in our bedroom, and say this is the back wall, and our headboard's here, bed's facing this way. So Jake's sitting right here, and he's just crying, Daddy, I'm scared. And I'm standing right here at this corner of the bed. Lacey's sitting over here on this side of the bed. And so we're talking to him, trying to console him, trying to be good mom and dad, telling nothing's wrong, no boogie monsters under the bed, nothing like that. And he's just sitting there crying. As we're talking to him, all of a sudden, he looks up like this and has a big smile on his face. And I'm talking, and all of a sudden I see him stop. I'm thinking, okay, my counseling skills are coming into play, doing good. I got my master's degree in counseling. That $50,000 is starting to pay off, you know. <laughs> and he stops, and he looks up, and he's just smiling, not saying anything, just smiling. And I said, Jake, what's going on? He said, Daddy, I, I'm okay. Jesus here. And I'm thinking, you know, veggie tails or something. And he said, Jesus here. I said, what do you mean Jesus here? He said, Jesus. And I said, Jesus is here? And he said, yeah. I said, what's he doing? He said, he's standing here looking at me. And I said, uh, what's he wearing? He said, he's wearing a white robe and a big red belt. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, he, go, he goes, Daddy, oh, okay, Jesus here. I'll go to bed. Gets down, walks off, goes and gets in his bed. Now I'm mad. Because I'm like, all right, Jesus, I know you're in here. Why am I seeing you? I mean, obviously, something happened very drastic and supernatural with my son. I mean, isn't listening to anything we're saying, and all of a sudden, walks off at three years old, goes and gets in the bed. Daddy, I'm okay. I'm mad. I'm mad. My man, I'm standing there. I'm like, okay, you're here. How come I'm not seeing you? We've had some other experiences over the years. And, and man, I'll tell you, I, I don't have time, but, man, we had, we had some, some things happen down at Columbia this past weekend. Oh, my God. People seeing stuff. I mean, I, I was telling Adam when we were driving up here, and, and I was kind of talking about some of these things and talking about using our imagination. I mean, even during our, during our worship, you know, telling that story about Nick and Jesus just using our imagination in these times of our worship and, and remembering there's more in here than what we realize. And not get so focused on whether the song has a good beat, good rhythm, someone's off key, on key, the harmonies are great or awful or anything like that, but the fact of we're worshiping someone that's actually here. But it comes, it comes back to this identity thing, this union thing, understanding who I'm one with, that now, when I walk into a room, I don't have to pray for the Holy Ghost to show up. I don't have to say, hey, you're welcome, come on in here. No, I have to understand that when I walked in, he came in. That when I, I need a move of God, I need to move. That when I move, he moves. Why? Because I'm one with him. Like, again, we've understood the, the puzzle pieces. It's time we put them together. We see it three times that Paul tells the Corinthians, don't you know, knucklehead, that you're the temple of God? He didn't say knucklehead, but I would have. The Spirit of God dwells on the inside of you. Don't you know? Don't you realize? Have you forgotten that God lives on the inside of you? Like Paul's trying to remind these people. I think so many times we, we forget. Why? Because we're so focused on everything out here, and we forget who we are. 
and who we're truly united with and one with. You see it in John 14, you see it in John chapter 10, you see it in John chapter 8. I want to show you this in John chapter 17, and, and then we'll, we'll close up here. John chapter 17, Jesus is praying. He's in the upper room with the disciples. This is the only prayer that you actually get to see Jesus in his conversation with the Father. Now remember, he's about to go into the garden of Gethsemane. He's going he's gonna to cross the valley, go into the garden, turn himself over, and then he, he's getting tortured and crucified. And he's praying this, and the disciples are sitting around him. Now Judas is gone, but the disciples are sitting around him, and they're listening to him pray this supernatural prophetic prayer. It's powerful. I mean, if, if there ever was a Lord's Prayer, it's this one. Because in this, he quite literally prays out the entire Christian experience. But I want you to notice, starting in verse 20, he says this. He said, Father, I do not pray for these alone, but also for all of those who will believe in me through their word. So that's us. If you believed in the word that was preached, you received Jesus as your Savior, he's praying for you right here 2,000 years ago. And Jesus always gets his prayers answered. And this is what he's praying. Notice what he prays, all right? He said, Father, I pray, verse 21, that they would all be one as you, Father, are what? As you are in me and I am in you, that they would be one in us. He's not praying for us to be in unity as a church. I mean, we can't even decide when it comes to water baptism whether you should be sprinkled, spat on, dunked. Like, it just, I don't think that's going to happen as far as us all coming together and we agree on everything. That isn't what I, I'm seeing here. He's praying for us to have the same position with the Father that he has. He said that they would be one as we are one. And notice this last phrase, that the world would believe that you sent me. Now, think about it. How is it possible that the world sees you and goes, oh, yeah, I can see that. God sent Jesus. Because our salvation was to be so perfect. It was to be so perfect that it put you in the very same position with the Father that Jesus has. So that you could very, very boldly and blatantly say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Christ. I don't know of anybody that's been that bold to say that. But quite literally, that's what we're getting at here. See, there's a reason if you go through the scriptures three times in the book of Hebrews, he says that because of your union with Christ, you're perfect. You're perfect. Now, there's a difference between perfection and maturity. All right? Maturity, we're growing in some things, but he made you perfect. I love it in Hebrews. It says that he forever perfected those who are being sanctified. That tells me that even while I'm working out my salvation, even I, though I'm maturing in the things of God, he still sees me as perfect. You, you, if, if you have children, you know this. I know my, my son, when he was born, I mean, immediately when I saw him, perfection. Right? I mean, I, I, t I taught school for, for uh, one year. When I was going to A&M, I was working on my master's, and I taught adaptive behavior, the ABU unit. These were the bad kids in, in a self-contained classroom. And I mean, but their parents still th thought that they were wonderful children. I'm looking at them. These kids are brats, man. Like, but they all thought they were geniuses. They all thought they were the next Einstein. I'm like, this kid is just, he's stupid. I mean, you know, 
like, but every parent thinks their child is just perfect. You ever seen that? Anybody ever watch Seinfeld? Right? So you, so you got some non-religious people in here. So watch Seinfeld, and, there, and, there, and there's that episode, there's that episode of the ugly baby. Anybody ever seen the ugly baby episode? The ugly baby, you know? And, and, and Jerry and Elaine, they go in there and like, oh, God, like, you know. But they're, they're trying to say nice things, and the parents are like, oh, my gosh, it's the most beautiful little baby. I mean, you know, if there was a, a beautiful baby of the year to be on People magazine, it would be this baby. I mean, it's just it's a beautiful baby. And Seinfeld comes in there. I mean, Kramer comes in there and shows the truth. I mean, Ugh. But every parent sees their child as perfect. Despite what they've done. I mean, my son, I mean, he, he's, a, he's a really, really good kid. But, I mean, there's nothing he could ever do. There's been some things I was like, Ugh. but there's nothing he would ever do that would change the way I see him. But this isn't just about the way God sees you. It's about the way he made you. Like, he can't see you any other way because he made you to be perfect. He made you to be perfect. Why? Because he made you to be like him. That'd be like God making somebody like him and looking at the person he made and said, you ugly. You're criticizing yourself. Like. And then in verse 22, he said, And the glory that you gave me, I have given it to them. See, the church is praying, God, give us more glory. God's saying, hey, you got saved. I gave it to you. We're praying for more. He's, Jesus saying, what I have, I gave it to them. We just need to walk it out. We go from glory to glory to glory by walking out who we are. Verse 23, if you didn't get it for the first time, these are for the dumb people. The second time, he says it right in a row. I and them and you and me, that they would be made perfect, where? In one. So again, it's because of your union, your position, your identity. That's where you find your, your self-esteem. That's where you find your self-worth. There should never be a Christian who has a low self-esteem. There should never be a Christian walking and dealing with depression. There should never be a Christian who thinks lowly of themselves. Why? Because if you see Jesus and understand that's how you should see yourself, you ought to be walking around with a pep in your step. You know, chest out, head up. I mean, if anything, we should have a pride problem. Because we, we think so highly of ourselves because of who we are. But most Christians, we view ourselves as a, as a lonely little worm under a bucket of scum, just barely saved, but still a sinner. And just crawling. You know, we don't go boldly to the throne of grace. We crawl on our knees and say, I'm not worthy. You know, we're like, we're like uh, Lord of the Rings, you know. Yeah. Verse 23, I and them and you and me, that they would be made perfect in one. That, again, here it is, that the world would know that you sent me. This is the second time he said this. So verse 21, he says it. Verse 22, he said, the glory you gave me, I've given it, given it to them that they would be one. See, how can you be one with someone and not have the same stuff? When I got married, Lacey got all my debt. <laughs> it was the only material possession I had. It was debt. Debt, bond debt. All my student loans, all the credit cards I lived on, you know, me, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, discovered we were best friends all through college. 
and even into my early, early 20s. And when she married me, she got all my stuff. She, 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 me, you know, uh, the paralyzed man had the four crazy friends. Well, I, my crazy friends were Visa, MasterCard, Discover, American Express. And she, she got me and my friends. When you become one with someone, you get all their stuff. How can I become one with God and not get all his stuff? See, in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. That means everything that heaven has to offer, all that heaven has available, it's already mine because I am in Christ. It means it's already mine. Everything Jesus has, my, I have it. But a lot of us are begging for it instead of using it. Real quick. So he says it again. I and them, you and me, that they would be perfect in one, that the world would know that you sent me. And you love them as you have loved me. Verse 25. O righteous Father, the world has not seen you or not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. I have declared to them your name. Notice this, this is the very last thing Jesus says in this prayer. And I will declare it, that the love with which you love me would be in them and I would be and no. This is Jesus' prayer. Notice the focus of his prayer is not you going somewhere. Again, thank God there's a heaven. Thank God there's a heaven to gain, the hell to shun. Thank God when I take my last breath or Jesus returns, thank God I get to go there. But heaven is not my focus. If heaven's my focus, then this time right here isn't. And yet a lot of us are talking about, you know, heaven manifest on earth. Well, if we would remember where we came from and be as focused on that as where we're going, maybe we'd actually manifest in heaven. See, we're so focused on where we're going, we forgot we came from there. Again, a part of your identity, where you're from. You know, a lot of people identify with the area code they came from or what side of the tracks they come from or the zip code, you know, the, 409 or whatever, like, they identify with that. Well, where you came from has a tremendous, your origin has a tremendous part of your identity. It's all about identity. And this was Jesus' prayer. He said, Father, this relationship, this union that I have with you, I pray that they would have this too, that they would be one with us. He says it multiple times. And then in verse 24, it's, it's like, oh yeah, and by the way, where I'm going, I want them to go there too. And then he continues back on with this whole thing about union, that I would be in them. Well, friends, think about this. This is why you have these in Christ scriptures all throughout the, the New Testament, Paul's letters to the churches. In Christ, in him, through him. One of the, the, the two most powerful to me is Galatians chapter 2, verse uh, 20. He says, no longer I who lives. So I learned this in, in Baptist church. No longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me for the life that i live in this flesh i live by faith in the son of god who died and gave his life for me next verse and i will not set aside the grace of god in other words if i'm trying to do life outside of him outside of my union with him it's going to produce works it's going to produce frustration it's going to produce me being ticked off at god questioning things i've stepped outside of the grace of god when i stepped outside of my union with him when i'm living in him this is where I can do like Paul said in Acts 17, 28. In him I live, I move, and I have my, I have my being. Colossians chapter 2, uh, verse uh, 6, Paul says, As you have received Christ, now do what? 
Walk in them. Walk in them. Have your life in them. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. He said, Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete. That means nothing missing, nothing broken. You're not missing anything. You're complete where? In him. Think about it. The Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. He said, Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead wrapped up in a body. And in the very next verse, he said, and you are complete in him. How is that possible? Because the fullness of the Godhead wrapped up a body, and then we became one, got into another body. The Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, and you in a body. How could I be missing anything? How could I be missing anything? Why should it be hard for miracles to happen? Why should it be hard for the supernatural to be a part of my life? With all of them and me, we've become one. We're doing life together. Why should it be hard for someone to get healed? Why should it be hard for a blind person or a deaf person or someone in a wheelchair? So why should that be hard? When I become so conscious of who's on the inside. I mean, Colossians 1.27, the mystery of the gospel is, is Christ in, it's Christ in you, Christ in me. That's the gospel. That's the gospel message. Union. And it's from that place that everything flows. That place that the love of God flows. It's from that place that I pray. From that place I minister. From that place we raise the dead, cause the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk. It's from that place that the miracles flow. Jesus said it. It's from that place that the supernatural happens. It's all about your position. It's all about your position. And so I meditate on that all the time. I'm thinking about it all the time. I talk about it all the time. That's what I'm focused on. Because if I can understand who I am, then all the stuff that I've been searching for, it'll just become a natural byproduct or natural outflow of who I am. So instead of focusing on the byproducts, I need to focus on the source. Where's the source? In him. And that's where everything flows, especially this healing thing. I mean, last week, this past weekend, we had a lady. She'd been deaf for decades in one ear, opened up. Uh, I was in Big Bear Lake, California just two weeks ago. lady had been completely deaf in both ears. Uh, she was in her 80s. I mean, for decades and decades and decades, and her ears opened up. Yeah, that's not exciting. So I was in Columbia last week, and, and there was a little boy. He, he suffered with uh, epilepsy and hydrocephalus. Never walked. And the mom was watching the live stream in Yopal, in Yopal, Columbia. And we were teaching on the life of God. She said she laid hands on him. The next morning, he started walking for the very first time. And I didn't pray for him, didn't lay hands on him, didn't know who he was. She was watching online. She did it. Because we were putting the focus not on the person standing here. We are putting the focus on the one that's on the inside of you. I mean, we've been seeing all kind of crazy stuff. Actually, I told, I told Adam, we did two services. I'll, I'll stop with this, I promise. We did two services Sunday night and Monday night, you Paul. Sunday night, there were so many sick people, I got overwhelmed. It's like I walked into the pool of Bethesda. I mean, it's just everywhere. And, and we saw some good results. But Monday night, I was just really tired. And so I told everybody, I'm not laying hands on anybody. You're going to do it. And so I talked about union, talked about our lives, this and that. And they all started laying hands on people. We got more results 
that way than we did Sunday night. We got more results teaching the people what they had, which, I mean, that's always my focus anyway. But we got more, more results that way than we did the other night with me being the one laying hands on everybody. We had lots of good results. So it comes down to what? Union. Union. So we'll close out with this. If you've never made Jesus your Savior, we need to do that today. You need to become one with him. You need to become one with him. If you're not sure if you've ever done that, or you, who knows? I want you to pray this with me. We can all say this together. But I want you to pray this with me. Say, God, I come to you right now. I realize I'm in need of a Savior. Your word says if I would believe in my heart, confess with my mouth Jesus, my Savior, I would be saved. I believe in my heart. I confess with my mouth. Jesus died for me. He rose again for me. And I ask you right now to be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Thank you now for making me one with you. Making me righteous. Right in your sight. Perfect and complete in you. Thank you for what you've done for me right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. So now that means you're perfect. Now that's not going to win an argument with your spouse. But you're perfect. Complete. Nothing missing. Nothing broken. Now you just need to understand who you are. And so tonight we're going to talk about this piece of becoming alive unto God. And being dead to sin and dead to sickness. And give you a new perspective on health care. Praise the Lord. Well, hope it didn't bore you too much, Pastor. Praise God. Shall come back tonight? And if there are some of you that need some people, need some ministry too, some healing and stuff like that, we'll, we'll lay hands on you. We don't, we don't do the spitting thing and pushing down thing, but we'll lay hands on you and uh, we'll, we'll get you healed. Yeah, thank you. So tonight...